In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about magic and tomfoolery, a blanket fort war with blackberry preserves and magical underpants, cuss words, and the Macarena in oh. our discussion of Mysteries of Thorn Manor by Margaret Rogerson, featuring super fan Brie for our discussion. Hey everybody, <laughs> welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adults, and sometimes middle grade books, series <laughs> authors and voice actors, still in the bit. and illustrators. Spoilers. Let's just spoil everything. I'm Amanda. <laughs> and I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss Mysteries of Thorn Manor by Margaret Rogerson. Mysteries of Thorn Manor! Mysteries of the whole mystery. Wrapped in special sauce. Enigma. <laughs> Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Listen up, I say. I must... Speak louder. <laughs> One cannot hear a delicate voice. I don't even know what's happening. Nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody. Nobody. Hey. Oh, excuse me, as my hip horse. Why the long face, old chap? <laughs> Does one would, li- would one like to grace this discussion with some background information? I would. I would. Capital. Capital. In an interview with PasteMagazine.com. <laughs> to be you were doing so well. <laughs> I know. The interviewer says, I love the cozy mystery vibe of this book, the colorful hidden rooms in Thorn Manor, and the low-stakes problems to be solved, and the semi-sentient house that gets mad when Elizabeth and Nathaniel make out. I can't! What made you choose such a more deliberately lighter tone for this follow-up? And Margaret Rogerson replies, Thank you! The hidden rooms were some of the most fun parts to write. Oh, Thorn Manor, always clutching its pearls. I will say that, in general, I love writing light-hearted stories. I feel that my writing is at its strongest when I'm being a little silly. I'm hoping that Mysteries will be a runaway success and my publisher will stroke their chin wisely and think, Hmm, yes. Maybe we should let Margaret write even more stories with evil underpants. Oh, oh, underpants, the garments, vegetables. Oh, I must clutch my, my pearls. <laughs> that was darling. It's simply capital. I quite Stop enjoyed it. that illumination. Spiffing, spiffing. What hell, chap? Do you have any initial thoughts as we delve deeper into the, dis- the mysteries of thought? Um, I do. 
I'm returning to myself for a moment. I love revisiting this world. We talked about the first book with Superfan Bree joining us for Would You Rather. And so now, this time, Superfan Bree is going to join us for the entire discussion. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take a short break after we finish. Probably come back wearing different clothes and different makeup. Excuse because me. Spoiler alert. It will be a different day. Excuse me, one does not wear the same garments to have a summary, and then another the same for a discussion? No, 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 no. Discipline oh, no. not done. How absolutely pedestrian. We must put on our couture for our guests. <laughs> I'm just going to say, me too! <laughs> Yay! I'm actually re-listening to... Um, Sorcery of Thorns right now as well, just for fun, because I love it and I'm so enjoying it. It's 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 com- it's really comfort reading. It's really good. It is, yeah. And it so is. you need to like listen to the book, read the book, and listen to our podcast because it was great. Yes. Even if one yes, does say so themselves. I'm t- we're tooting our own horn. Oh, toot toot. Haunted. My pearls. Rather, old chap. She will delve into the depths of the summary. Yeah, let's just do it. (laughs) We shall. Let's stop that. We shall. Apologies. Sorry, not sorry. Animated topiaries and a magical gale blow outside Thorn Manor. Nathaniel Thorne didn't have another nightmare last night, so it wasn't the audacious sorcerer's fault this time. Besides, Elizabeth would have noticed because she spent the night in his bed. <gasps> oh. That must have something to do with the wards. Beyond the cacophony, a crowd has gathered, and among them, reporters calling to Elizabeth and Nathaniel. They want to know if Nathaniel has lost control of his magic, or if his demon is back, or if this craziness will impact him hosting the midwinter ball. Let's just close the door on all that for now. Nathaniel declares he quite enjoys the maelstrom, but Elizabeth, ever the practical one, points out they are being trapped inside the house. And even though it is quite lovely, part of the roof just flew off. (laughs) Nathaniel, Uh, ever the anti-socialist optimist, says they have provisions enough for a while, so everything will be fine. Yeah, no. Elizabeth draws her sword, demon slayer, and charges out the door. She's back moments later, being chased by Thorny Vine, shouting, The heads grow back! (laughs) While she slashes at them. Of course they do. Mercy enters the foyer then, and at least has the presence of mind to trap the dismembered thrashing vine in an overturned dustbin. Nathaniel fake despairs that this will take weeks to sort out. Oh, no! Which is when Elizabeth remembers one of the reporters mentioning a midwinter ball. Elizabeth rounds on Nathaniel, who explains that the midwinter ball is a torturous event for stuffy sorcerers. But Silas, from the hall, clarifies that it's a social occasion. Isn't that what Nathaniel said? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Silas could be mistaken for a ghost, as he is a pale fraction of his former self, but he's quite real, and we're so glad that he's back. Oh my gosh. 
He explains the tradition of the ball, and Nathaniel's shiftiness proves Elizabeth's supposition correct. Nathaniel is meant to host this year. As they eat dinner, they consider what could have triggered the wards to react in the last 24 hours. Elizabeth was in the study working all day, so it's fine. Nathaniel was in the magisterium and didn't get back until dark. Can we blame him? Mm. At this, Nathaniel and Elizabeth exchange a meaningful look. Elizabeth has slept in Nathaniel's room before while she tended him from his injuries, uh, but this time they did a little more than just sleep. They did some kissing. Mm. Can't be that though, can it? Surely not. After her bath, Elizabeth dresses in her nightgown, picks up Demon Slayer, and heads down the hall to Nathaniel's bedroom. I can just I love that like she's in she's taking a bath. Like I can just imagine she's in a giant bubble bath and she's got bubbles on her hair and she's like made herself a bubble beard in Demon Slayer's just Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> she she picks it up and she's taking a bath it. with her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nathaniel is sitting on the edge of the bed, thoughtfully looking outside. While Elizabeth is worried they're sleeping together caused this, Nathaniel thinks not. They aren't doing anything they haven't done before. Well, just in case, Elizabeth firmly places a pillow between them. Yes, because firmly placing a pillow is going to solve all the problems. I mean, it depends on where you firmly place the pillow. That could get quite uncomfortable. I say. Well, darling. Elizabeth wakes during the night and notices Nathaniel's face very close. So, obviously, they start kissing. In a lucid moment, Elizabeth realises the pillow between them is gone and the the wind outside rises dangerously. So, they decide they need to check the attic. That roof... Nathaniel grabs his kid and Elizabeth grabs Demon Slayer. Because of course she does. She would look amazing in this long silk robe and dressing gown and Demon Slayer. That's a, that is a beautiful look. Yes. Yes. With the robe wafting oh, behind her as she wafting. walks through the halls. Billows yes. her hair kind of billowing as well as the drafts yes, get her. Yes, and she's just got Demon Slayer in front. Oh. Leading the way. That is the amazing visual. Silks wafting behind. Yes, it's beautiful. The attic is like a museum. Shrouded furniture, giant tarnished mirrors, a child's rocking horse, traveling chests, old-fashioned coats and dresses, a box of creepy-looking dolls, a suit of medieval armor on a stand, and an entire carriage. (laughs) Just like your regular everyday attic. Do you not have an entire carriage in your attic in a box of carriage. creepy looking dolls? I mean, the box of creepy looking dolls is not in the attic. It's on full display for everyone to oh, see. She's got the Renesmia doll. Damn it. God, I wish. Nathaniel tells Elizabeth to look around, but warns that almost everything in the attic is cursed. <gasps> it's cursed. <gasps> The armor Elizabeth spots intrigues her the most. It looks about the right size for her. It's cursed! Nathaniel cries. <laughs> Sigh. Continuing to look around, Elizabeth spots a goblin and draws Demon Slayer. 
Oh, that's not a goblin. It's only a portrait of Aunt Clotilde. Silas moved the portrait here, so Nathaniel suspects they have a history. <laughs> Trooping back downstairs, they pass a perturbed-looking Mercy before the smell of fresh baking attracts them all to the kitchen. Silas serves fresh scones, preserves and peppermint tea. They all wish Silas would rest and gather his strength rather than keep working as a servant for the Thorn family, but Silas caught on quickly and thwarted their efforts. Elizabeth does ask Silas if he can help with the wards, and graciously Silas agrees and leaves to fetch something. Silas returns with a grimoire, and it is not friendly. Oh. Elizabeth sees that the gilt lettering shows that it is volume 11, and she realizes it is a class 4 before it explodes in a frenzy. <laughs> Silas tells her it has gone feral living on the servant's floor, having escaped the muniment room, which was closed in 1792 after it went out of fashion to have her. Oh. <laughs> oh, darling, we don't have a muniment room anymore. <sighs> Who has a muniment room these days? Who, indeed. The grimoire contains all the changes and wards attached to Thorn Manor, so it should prove helpful. Nathaniel asks where the muniment room is, and then he and Elizabeth go off to find it. As Nathaniel and Elizabeth search near the bust of Erasmus Thorn for the door, Nathaniel explains what Silas meant by the muniment room being closed. When a sorcerer no longer has need of a room, they close it off and essentially banish it as many of the rooms are created by sorcery. Rumour has it there is a ballroom somewhere. Elizabeth wants to go and look for the rooms and wonders if Thorn Manor is actually alive like the Royal Library. Suddenly, Elizabeth sees the door from the corner of her eye. Oh, thank goodness for her resistance to magic. Inside the room looks like a cramped version of the Royal Library catalogue room, except this one has feral grimoires running wild and fighting. <laughs> In the corner, it looks like one uh, might have been eaten. Nathaniel casts a spell to freeze the grimoires so they can scour the room. There are so many books to look through, and Elizabeth is loving it. As they work, Elizabeth asks about Silas. He seems a little off with Mercy or put out at having someone assist him. Nathaniel ordered Silas not to kill Mercy, who overheard the order. Everyone is understandably a little on edge here. There was once a rumor of a footman who kept leaving finger marks on the silver, but his disappearance could have come from one of a million different reasons. It wasn't probably necessarily Silas. He probably didn't kill him for leaving fingerprints. It's He probably didn't. It's fine. Then Elizabeth asks if Silas has ever disobeyed an order. Only once, when Nathaniel was 12. Nathaniel was a petulant child and ordered Silas to leave him alone, but Silas found loopholes until he eventually broke the order to look after Nathaniel. And that's why we love He's Silas. So nice. Suddenly, Nathaniel realizes he should be able to control the grimoires with some minor blood magic, and it works! All but one are sorted and stored, and the remaining one, which is covered with mold and st smells strongly of curdled milk, was written by Clohild Thorne, 
Elizabeth takes the grimoire for treatment. Eventually, her careful menstruations work, and Elizabeth is able to see the title, Volume 26. However, no matter the coaxing, the grimoire stays stubbornly shut. It is clear that the creator, Aunt Clothilde, is a strong-willed person. Her tapestry they keep trying and failing to get rid of is certainly evidence of that. Elizabeth suggests that her friend Catrian may be able to help. However, getting in touch with Catrian seems impossible. Nathaniel's patience snaps with the house when his and Elizabeth's faces get a little too close, and a clump of wet snow lands in the fireplace, covering them with smoke. (laughs) That's it! Nathaniel fetches the magic mirror whose twin was used so violently against them in the first book, its power has been severely weakened, but it should be enough to get in touch with Catrian. Elizabeth exhales across the mirror to Catrian's room. Catrian is there with Parsifal, who she orders to be quiet and not listen and covers with a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Parsifal. Catrian is well aware of the misfiring wards because the library director has been taking them on field trips to observe. But Elizabeth explains about the grimoire. Catrian suggests using a familiar object, and which was in close contact with Aunt Clothilde. They try the scrying mirror and Clothilde's portrait, but neither work, so Nathaniel asks Silas if Clothilde has a bedroom hidden in the house somewhere. Silas won't say. He is personally offended by Clothilde's wardrobe, describing it as a stain upon the house filled with the most unfashionable garments. When Silas leaves the room, Nathaniel Elizabeth burst out laughing. Over the next few days, Elizabeth wanders the hallways of Thorn Manor, staring at the walls until they give up their secret rooms. No matter the rooms she finds, Elizabeth likes to return to the one she calls the Ostrich Room. It's warm and welcoming. Silas finds her in the room, and it seems he is very familiar with it and cared for the room's creator. The next morning at breakfast, Nathaniel throws his bacon before crying, Of course! The tapestry! Elizabeth finishes Nathaniel's breakfast and grabs Demon Slayer before following him to Aunt Clothilde's offensive tapestry. Nathaniel says it's obvious that her bedroom must be behind it. It isn't. Well, it's not for Nathaniel. Elizabeth has better luck with her magic resistance. The bedroom is really creepy in like a really frilly and lacy way with magical pink candles, books on etiquette and deportment and leaflets with outraged moral <laughs> treaties about the role of women. <laughs> a hulking Baroque wardrobe occupies one wall and Nathaniel opens it the old-fashioned way. Uh, the contents are unique uh, and nightmarish. They're they're hideous. They are awful. <laughs> Silas was right. As they look at a particularly extravagant example of Clotilde's fashion choices, they are attacked by her dressing gown and chased from the room by a tide of clothes. <laughs> Elizabeth uses Demon Slayer on the Couture army, but it isn't enough. Mercy, wielding a mop, helps Elizabeth fight the garments, and they fall back to the foyer. Nathaniel then casts a spell, and a flock of birds from the green room's wallpaper descend on Clotilde's clothes. They need 
to lure out the dressing gown, as it must be the anchor for the others. Elizabeth knows just how to draw it out, and she reaches for Nathaniel and kisses him. It works, and Elizabeth is able to use Demon Slayer to destroy it. Your dressing gown. Uh, the army of unmentionables defeated. Elizabeth catches <laughs> Clothilde's grimoire. It seems the house wants Nathaniel to declare his intentions. So now Nathaniel is locked in his study, the sounds and smell of magic emanating from it. Nathaniel is offended that his house does not think he is properly committed. It's like the house doesn't know him at all. It seems the manor will only be appeased by a show of formal courtship, which is an old source of family tradition and that hasn't been practised in years. The only aid Elizabeth has been able to find looks to be one of Aunt Clothill's purchases, a lady's guide to sorceress traditions by Dame Prudence Winthrop. The grimoire opens to the relevant section, The Lover's Pact, and marks its place with a silk ribbon bookmark. The Lover's Pact requires a sorcerer to carry out three impossible tasks to win his lady's love. Elizabeth needs to set her first task. That night, Elizabeth stays in her own bedroom, but can't sleep thinking about the result of the impossible tasks. True love, marriage, a life together. Is this what she wants? Yeah, it is. It is, 100%. Leaving her stifling room, Elizabeth runs into Silas in the hall. He's not dressed in his servant garb, but a suit and smells like winter. It comes as no surprise that Silas would be able to get past the wards. Elizabeth takes Silas's hand and asks about Nathaniel's mother. Silas then takes Elizabeth to the dining room and through a hidden door to the ballroom, which was closed 18 years ago. Silas then teaches Elizabeth to dance. The next morning, Elizabeth is walking by Nathaniel delivering breakfast, his first impossible task. As Elizabeth tentatively tries the food, which actually looks pretty good, the house delivers a single red rose and of approval. Nathaniel requests his next task by lunch, so Elizabeth wanders the house for inspiration and finds more new rooms. She also finally finds Silas's room, which is neat and tidy. It's covered with detailed charcoal drawings of people and places from across the centuries. Many showing Nathaniel doing everyday things. The picture on the easel, however, though, is of Elizabeth looking like an avenging saint, her expression one of hope, courage and resolve. This gives Elizabeth an idea. The second impossible task given after lunch, Elizabeth is told to stay in Nathaniel's study, so she works on one of the worn grimoires, Ostomir's Complete Fairy Tales. It flutters open to the orphan prince. The grimoire is trying to tell her something. Elizabeth only sees Nathaniel at dinner for a moment as he quickly eats and disappears again, but the smell of magic and peculiar sounds coming from the attic let her know he's still alive. Don't worry. The next morning, Nathaniel delivers the next impossible task, the suit of armour from the attic, decursed and adjusted to fit Elizabeth perfectly. From downstairs, Mercy calls that the front door is opening again, so the house must approve of the second task. 
Elizabeth cannot wait to try on the armour and practice and uses it to face the wandering torpories outside. She absolutely loves it and clanks around in it all day. <laughs> I would just love to see her again wafting through the halls holding Demon Slayer except for now she's got the suit of armour on with her silk robe on on top of it. And she's just got this delighted like little girl happy with life expression there's nothing avenging Mm -hmm. angel or you know warrior-esque she's just like she's just happy it's christmas morning kind of smile yeah Yeah. yes yeah that night a terrible dream disturbs elizabeth but it's nathaniel's screams that wake her up Grabbing Demon Slayer and Salt Rounds, Elizabeth makes her way down the hall, wary of the illusion of the hallway created by Nathaniel's mind. Elizabeth runs into Mercy, who is frozen by an illusion of a woman. Elizabeth throws a salt round at the illusion and asks Mercy to make tea, since the nightmares seem to stay out of the kitchen. In Nathaniel's bedroom, Elizabeth finds him crouched on the bed frame, looking petrified, Silas trying to comfort him. In the corner is a... Thing. A child with the face of Maximilian, Nathaniel's brother, covered in grave dirt. Elizabeth reaches for a salt round before going to Nathaniel and holding him. Nathaniel begs for the third task, so she asks for him to take her ice skating. Outside, the scene has changed into the formal gardens not seen since Nathaniel's mother was alive. It seems the house wants them to go outside. Nathaniel and Elizabeth head downstairs while Silas fetches their warm coats. Together, Elizabeth and Nathaniel head out into the snow and toward the maze. They find a single white rose in Nathaniel's mother's favourite place in the garden, and he tells them how she and Maximilian died. A pier collapsed into the water because it was overcrowded. No one would tell him what happened until his father returned from Magister business, but even then he was too grief-stricken to speak to his son. In the end, Silas was the one who explained everything. Leaving the rose, they continue on into the maze to the frozen pond at its centre. Using magic, Nathaniel creates silver skates over their shoes. He must have had this planned for weeks because you don't have a whimsical spell like that just like ready on the fly. Together, they step onto the pond and skate. When they come to a stop, Nathaniel apologizes for not expressing his love in the accepted, traditionally verbal fashion, but Elizabeth tells him that he may not say it, but he shows it. She knows he loves her. Damning the house, they kiss passionately, but luckily the lover's pact has been fulfilled and the old magic dissipates. As they celebrate, a sobering thought occurs to Elizabeth. What day is it? They've suffered the whims of the prudish spell on the house for ten days, which means that the midwinter ball is tomorrow. Silas has obviously been busy preparing while they were outside. He helps Elizabeth dress and do her hair, then presses a dressmaker's card for Lady Tremaine's into her hand, along with a list of instructions for the seamstress. He whisks her through the servant's corridor to the hidden carriage, and collecting Katrina on the way, together they head to the magical dressmaker. 
After a whirlwind time at Lady Tremaine's, Elizabeth returns to Thorn Manor, finding Nathaniel using Ostermere's complete fairy tales to create magical scenes around the ballroom. So pretty. Silas comes to inform Nathaniel the guests are already arriving and refuses to strangle Nathaniel with his own cravat. He also informs Elizabeth that it wouldn't be the thing for a demon to attend the ball, especially as he can't hide amongst the servants. And speaking of, Silas hands Mercy packages and a dress from the pile Elizabeth brought home, telling her to enjoy herself and take the night off. Eventually, they have to open the doors and the line to Thorn Manor of guests waiting outside is huge. Once the introductions are done, Elizabeth is able to escape to get ready with Silas's help. Catrienne looks freaking amazing in the dress Silas arranged for her, and together they coax Mercy out into hers. Elizabeth struggles to find Nathaniel until a drunk guest loudly addresses him. Together they dance for an hour, and once they apart for refreshment, Elizabeth finds him again being accosted by a devilishly handsome man, pining for the kiss they shared in Lord Ingram's linen closet. Nathaniel, looking really awkward, tells him he can't rekindle anything. He's engaged. And Nathaniel magics an engagement ring on Elizabeth's hand. (laughs) How great is their relationship that she's like, oh, we're engaged now. Okay. Oh, boop. There's a ring. Okay. Yeah, fine. Just go with it. It's fine. Just go with hey, it. In a partnership, you cover each other's backs. So even if it wasn't right. a formal engagement, you know, you for the night, you go with it. It's good yeah. enough. Yeah. As the ball goes on, Silas heads into the cellar. It's a dark and gloomy place, humming with the magic from the wards. The week before last, Silas found it easy enough to wake Clothilde's magic and is very pleased with the results. Nathaniel clearly needed an intervention. Otherwise... He wouldn't have done anything for years. And Silas is impatient to plan the wedding. He's already picked out the flowers. (laughs) Silas heads to the farthest cell, which holds a pentagram, which has summoned him many times. Using his blood, Silas summons the great devourer and gives it Clothilde's dressing gown. I love that. I love that. (laughs) There's probably some ectoplasmic residue in the air. <laughs> I do enjoy that great devourer gives him sassy. He's like, eat the dressing gown. Just eat this. Eat it. <laughs> oh. oh, no. I don't want to eat that. Gross. <sighs> okay. Well, we're going to pause here for a moment. Listen to this promo from another podcast. And we're going to drag... Super fan Breon to join us for the rest of the I think we're going to perform some magic right now. Like, everything's just going to change up weirdly. Hi there, I'm Vali, one of the hosts of the Reading Queens podcast. If you love books, fandom discussions, and having a good time, join your new internet friends as we take on such topics and more. Hosted by a group of published authors, Reading Queens is a podcast for every book lover. Every week, we get together to blab about our favorite books, why we love them, and the book boyfriends we wish were real. You can find the episodes on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms, with a new episode launching every Wednesday. Thanks. Now back to the show. Look, now we're back from our break, and just as I said, we're wearing different clothes. Magic. 
it's a different day. It is. Wait, time. I don't think I said that. I don't think I said that. My thought? And also, Superfan Bree has joined us. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay, Hi, welcome Bree. Bree. Hi, Claire. Hi, Amanda. Hi. It's been a while since you've been on. It's Mitch. Unacceptable. How long has it been? Was it oh, like was it like Christmas time last year when in, we did this one, or was it even longer ago? Than I that? have a feeling it was the year before. Um, Do you? Yeah, Maybe? I looked. Sauce. I don't remember. It was episode one six seven. One sixty seven. Oh. Christ, that's almost a hundred episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bree. Hi. Welcome back. And there's only 52 more, so weeks for last time. Okay. I mean, you've been busy. You know, yes. you've been getting an education and got a degree. So, official yeah. congratulations. Yay. Yay. Thank you. And now you have more time Evil to spend mermaids and Japanese fairy tales. And they all sold out. And I'm very proud of myself. Yeah, you, we is... are proud of you. It's where amazing. Where is my coffee? Or is it upstairs still? I have one. I have one. I bought it. I'm one of the reasons why it's sold out. <laughs> My director, Kevin J. Anderson, was very happy. I showed it to him. <laughs> I keep looking well, for Amanda it. Well, Amanda with it's... the picture of the book. <laughs> I think it's still upstairs. I think I think I haven't brought it down to put it Oh, on it's too far yet. if it's upstairs. It's far so far, far away. It's so, so far, far away. away. It's too late. The die is cast. It is, but I have it. I have it, and it's pretty. Have I read it, it yet? No. When the will I? The insides are pretty, Who too. Who knows? I'm sure. Oh, it's Do an you... anthology. You can pick it up and drop As it. As I have seen a lot lately. I'm seeing this a lot lately. There's a difference between being a reader and being a collector. They are not a mutually exclusive <laughs> hobby. You know, you can collect books. You can read books. You might do both. I'm not judging either way because I'm just as bad. <laughs> anyway, we should probably discuss this book that we're supposed to be talking about. Right? Yeah. I mean, we could. I I'm don't ready. Th- I don't think anybody else is particularly interested if we just sat and gossiped for an hour. The might. Both. Both. Both is both. good. Both. We'll all, do a just book. Do all, just do all of the, the things. In theory, we are a book podcast, so... In theory, yes. In theory. Bring on the fluffy fantasy. Woo! (laughs) Okay, so what are our standout moments for Mysteries of Thorn Manor? As I remind myself what book we're talking about. I'm Margaret Rogerson. Book 1.5 in the Sorcery of Thorn series. Is it a series, though? I thought she was just like, you know what? That was super cute. And I didn't know. now here's Basically. a little bit more. I'm pretty sure that that's what the um, background info was about, I think. Yeah, but you cannot tell me that after reading Mysteries of Thorn Manor, if you can at all remember it now, because <laughs> we can't even, we don't even know what day of the week it is. Right, I don't know. There is setup for more. Yes, and I... but at the same time, do we want more? I don't know. 
I kind of like that there maybe isn't more. Like, let's just write her. Let's just let her write something else. That's what the background info was about. Yes, let's let her write more about haunted underpants or some such. That's what the background info was about. (laughs) I agree. I'm happy having just sorcery thorns and mysteries of Thorn Manor. However, if she wanted to make this into a duology and have it like have a bit more of a story or do another novella where it's the wedding and that would be all of the precious. craziness that happens at the wedding i'd be more than happy with that I'd be but okay. i would be want okay silas's perspective i want yes. silas's point of view at the wedding i want the wedding planning all the way up and how he like has to corral Nathaniel, even though Nathaniel has no worries or qualms about marrying Elizabeth. Actually, you know what? He's probably got to corral Elizabeth because Elizabeth would be like, "Oh my god, am I too young to get married?" And he's like, and she'd be, he'd be like, "Yeah, you're fine." It's She'd okay. probably ruin the dress ten thousand ways because yeah. yes, exactly because some for some reason grimoires would fly in and attack, and uh, or would be defending or ink everywhere yeah i can see that happening. then but i could also see him having the yeah corral nathaniel too because what we saw at the ball was nathaniel trying to get out of all of the uh and he has to do it as a cat because no one can see him because it's just not done so there's just a little cat like head bumping people like okay you get up to the altar now and then nathaniel's distracted with jam and something else is happening there's a haunted pair of underpants that show up somehow they've been regurgitated involved yes katrina is there parsifal is there with a blanket on his head yes It's just basically a book of tomfoolery, magic and tomfoolery. That's, that that's what I need. Sounds yeah. perfect. But but also like the sentimental stuff that made it in there. I I loved all of the Silas uh, Elizabeth moments and all of the Silas and Nathaniel moments and all of the Silas moments. In, you see, this is why it general. makes me think that there's more to the series that she's going to create more because of the Silas moments, and she bought the opera tickets. And she never gave them to Silas yet. Well, that's implied. He knows she's gonna. She's yeah. trying to keep it secret. That fact that she had them like to stuff down a coast or something. So she thinks he doesn't know. I mean, obviously, Silas knows all. He is pretty mm-hmm. much omnipotent. But we never actually have that exchange. And there's just those little nuggets, those little things that make me think... She's got something else. Margaret Rogerson's got something else up her sleeve. But I love that it, that it's open. It's so open so we can sit and have this conversation. We yes. can plan out the wedding ourselves. We can do yeah. all of this stuff. That's that's why I love an open-ended book. We can it make reminds, the ending that we want. Yeah. It reminds me perfectly of the Tangled series. Um and I say series because you have the Tangled movie from Disney. And then you have the epic three-season animated series, which everyone should watch it because it's better than the movie. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to if, you don't, if you're not into it. And then you have the little epilogue, which is the wedding and shenanigans and stuff. This felt like that, where you know there's more adventures that they're going to have and stuff, but it has all the fan fiction fodder that people can just 
run wild with because it's such a rich deep world like the sea of blackberry jam that nathaniel exploded all over or preserves whichever there's there's part of me that would quite like a next one or uh, or tie-in book that's actually set about 50 years in the future and it's nathaniel and elizabeth's child if they have a child Silas is still there. Silas is still as he is. And that child has absolutely no belief that their mother and father got up to any shenanigans in any way, shape or form. But it's kind of like them taking over or, you know, are they going to go down the route of following the mother and be a warrior or are they going to be a magister with magic? You know, I kind of... I'd kind of like to see if we could move on a generation and see how Silas again interacts with them and has those memories of Nathaniel and Elizabeth because Elizabeth promises that they're never going to let Silas be alone and the only way I think they can do that because it has to be gen- like you have to inherit them is if they have either a child or a ward yeah that would be cool and I do love Silas being kind of part guardian figure but also part like I got vibes between him and Elizabeth, not a, you know, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily Polly vibes, but it's definitely, there's a complex bond there, which I really appreciated that deepening and kind of like how it was hinted with him and Nathaniel's mom. Um, I'd really love to see that again and again and again and just see how that evolves over time. Like, I would just love a Silas commentary book. Yeah, Honestly. I think that's what it's boiling yeah. down to, isn't that it? Everything we're best. saying is it's it's from Silas's point of view. And it was nice to have so much Silas' point of view in this book as well, still, considering it's a novella that could have quite easily left out his voice, but we very much have it there. And mm-hmm. oh, it's just so satisfying. The epilogue made me happy. <laughs> Which part? Because it was just the or just the entire thing. Yes, the entire thing. The the planning. The um, the devourer being. Ah, oh, it's you. Why are you? Why are you summoning me? I need to dispose of something. And then the threats. And it's just like if they live through it, it, it was awesome. Yeah. Eat this dressing gown. <laughs> then no. he returns to the light and the life. <laughs> so wholesome and fluffy. Mm so good the things he's done in that dungeon though he's like oh i had was it was it mr hobbs or something he had in there for a while and was it no higgins was under the petunias i think that was the implication <laughs> yeah i can't remember precisely but yeah i was like okay the fingerprints okay. on the silverware not any of these no. other nefarious not allowed things just fingerprints on the silverware do not leave fingerprints what are you thinking the greatest of all it's a travesty, really. Shocking. Shocking. Not in his house. Can't no. get good help these days. No. So what other standout moments do we have? Besides all the Silas? <laughs> yeah. I can't believe we haven't mentioned the army of underthings. <sighs> I loved that, that so much. It was one of my favorite parts, and I had to, like, look up half the underthings. <laughs> 
because I'm not as familiar as I should be with like turn of whatever century, 1800s, I guess, <laughs> under things fashion, which is makes me ashamed because I love the parasol first. So I should be at least a little versed in them. Excuse me, Brie, but we do not talk about our under things. They are unmentionables for reasons. My pearls. Oh, <gasps> indeed. Gasp. <gasps> the prude house. <laughs> The, the house was a complete prude. It was fantastic. I, I, I didn't clock straight away that it was um, Clothhild. I was like, it's the house. The house is alive. The house is a prude. And then when it was, you know, the aunt stuff, it was like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And I was actually quite annoyed by Aunt Clothhild because she seemed quite progressive. You know, she was a sorceress. She was very strong sorceress, very strong-willed. But it was all deportment and the ladies' places in the house. I was like, oh, no. Oh, that, that grated me. I'm, you know, my feminism stirred up at that point. Yeah, yeah I did how, like... How old is she, though? When, when was she sorceress like how long ago was that what is she 18 something yeah well exactly it's generational and it's historical and it's cultural and I get that Uh, but suffragettes all the way (laughs) I mean Elizabeth was the same way as soon as uh, she read the books not when she saw the wardrobe the crime against fashion but when she saw the manor books (laughs) that that the, the the bedroom, Uncle Hill's bedroom, just <laughs> oh. oh, it's so pink. So it was so pink. So I want to know what animal the dressing gown was made out of, and if the animal eventually got revenge somehow. Oh. <laughs> it's we can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> I also love things. I loved the subtle role that Catrian played. Um, you know, being the moral support at the dress shop, uh, helping with the breakthrough with the books. And when she got the package at the end with her dress, she was like, random packages? I would have booby-trapped it, so Silas needs to be careful next time. I love Catrian. I think she's an unsung hero. Yeah. Like when, when I re-listened to Sorcery of Thorns, I forgot how valuable her input is in trying to figure things out her simple well get a job at the library then you know just she's so straight you know there's she is logical she gets from a to b in a straight line none of this fanning about and it's correct she's on the ball she's on point and it's just like she's not given enough credit but then she puts a blanket on Parsifal's head. He wasn't supposed to listen. <laughs> right? Like, what? That's not helpful. He can hear through that blanket, you know. It, you, no, you're not supposed to. It's the same as if you've got your eyes closed. You know, and you see, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Sure. Accurate. Or you close your ears. I, you know. I feel like it's the principle of the matter. Yeah. You're not supposed to be involved in this. Here's this blanket. You just sit over there quietly. It's plausible deniability. 
you know i feel like parsable is a delicate flower who needs to be protected especially when katrian and elizabeth get together hijinks will ensue yes violence will no doubt be wrought yes and Parsifal needs to have that degree of separation for his own he- mental health and well-being, but also plausible deniability. It was also Catrian respecting Elizabeth and, well, Nathaniel doesn't care, but Elizabeth's sensibilities, because they were talking about their her relationship with Nathaniel. And while Catrian doesn't care, because it's all, you know, part A, part B, you know, logical and whatnot, maybe Parsifal isn't the same. Maybe. That sounds reasonable. I just enjoy the fact that he's just sitting back there in the room with a blanket on his head. He must be getting so hot in that, in that blanket. It is the middle of winter. So he's probably fine. He's probably cozy. Stick your head under a blanket for ten minutes, even in winter when it's cozy, and it gets a bit hot and you're like, Ooh, I need to stick my head back out to breathe. He's not allowed to breathe It's when right you now. stick your foot out... And you call it a blanket fort. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Uh, blanket forts. I haven't made a blanket fort or pillow fort in such a long time. Oh, we should do it. We should all just do it right now. Blanket okay, fort. Hangover blanket fort. Yes. We could have two forts and then we could have like a mini war. Yeah. Yeah. With blackberry like preserves. Really With blackberry black preserves. Yes. Preserves. And underpants. Yes. Magical underpants. Magical underpants, yeah. I love all of this. So what else? Do we have any other standout moments or should we move on to favorite character, perhaps? Even though I think I can tell Breeze. Oh yeah, just I'm from broadcasting her... it loud yes. and clear. <laughs> just, just from a list that we received earlier where we were counting things off on our fingers. <laughs> and Silas did this, and Silas did this, and Silas this, and Silas this. Like, oh, was that your favorite character, Bree? I'm Silas. shocked. I'll be Silas. I'm so shocked. He's a dimensional <laughs> kitty. Therefore, he is best. He is really fantastic. But I love Nathaniel in this one. He's so funny. I love Nathaniel. He is wonderful. The snark. Yes. And he he does an impromptu engagement just to get out of telling a clingy ex-fling. Yeah, like oh, he's sorry. not available anymore. Sorry, I can't go and make out with you because I'm engaged. Just hey, like, he said he was committed, but he didn't believe him. It's true. I also think I got the subtle like that Felix was about to do some kind of like sorcery rage sorcery magic or something like there was a rumble or something so you know we've got clingy x-fling plus destructive x-fling <laughs> yeah that would not that would not have been good in the middle of the ball i think he would have just magic him to a closet and just try and make out with him which is you know, no, not good. You, know, not good. N- you know what he probably would have done? Blanket fort. Of course. Just get in of the blanket course. fort and do some smooching. Blanket forts are so versatile. They really are. You can you can use them for everything. <laughs> I love that. Um, I love that. 
Nathaniel clearly, you know, he's going on this quest and he has to do all of these things. I really love that he clearly had the ice skating thing pre-planned. Mm-hmm. I thought that was lovely. I was so had sweet. forgotten that is actually mentioned in Sorcery of Thorns yes, as well. Yes, he's been it planning it for lovely... forever. Yeah. Oh. She mentioned she wants to go ice skating and it wasn't until I re-listened to it. I was like, oh, oh. Yes, yes, it's lovely. I do appreciate that. I can't pick a favourite character in this one because, to be fair, there are so few. And every single one of them shines in some way, sh- shape or form. Like, you've already covered Silas. You've already covered Nathaniel. We've talked about Catrian. But also, let's give Elizabeth her due. At the moment, she puts on that suit of armour and she's just clanking around the players. It's yes. happy as Larry destroying the torpery outside to the point that they start running away from her. She even tries, she even pees in it. You know, she works out how she can go to relieve herself and would sleep in that armour. She loves it that much. Didn't we discuss in the in the summary that she's wafting through the halls, wearing her silk dressing gown on top of her armour and she's got her sword and she's wafting? Yeah. I, I love that. I thought it she, you know, she didn't give up. And how can you not love a librarian who looks after the books, the grimoires, I mean, like her? I mean, really? on. I That's the dream. Love, I loved the implication that she also wanted to bridge the two specialties, the wardens and the... Catrian, one of them. Yeah, the... Conservationists. You know, yes, conservationists, where she wanted, you know, to protect both the books and the human bystanders and not, you know, put one over the other and actually keep these living personalityed objects comfortable too, because if they're gonna be cooped up forever, then they need to be happy. It's like they're they're animals, a bunch of, you know, little doggy books that need to be taken care of that's it i mean she she is isn't it described in the first one that she essentially because she was a baby when she's brought into the library she is a grimoire of a sort she absorbed the ink she absorbed the magic of the library that's how she has the affinity and potentially has the magic resistance as well so she can see she does have the magic resistance so you know, she she wants to protect both halves of herself. She wants to protect mm-hmm. the books and she wants to, res- to protect the people. And I respect the heck out of that. The question, I mean, I would say the question is, once she's married to Nathaniel Thorne and she's a magister's wife, I hope she, I don't think she will. And I don't think Nathaniel will let her lose her identity. Oh, you know, no as way. is the cultural norm that once you're married, you are your husband's wife the end i think nathaniel's the opposite he's gonna be like no she manages everything she's the boss she does she, what she wants wears to do. the suit of armor in the family yeah and he yeah. was ready to break uh convention by like the the tirade he went on like silas you saved the world people wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you you shouldn't have to hide out and you know not show yourself just because you know they eat your food they talk about you behind your back and I loved that, you know, that that fury on behalf of his his friend, guardian, mentor, 
family. It was very sweet. So he, both of them will definitely be breaking some social norms and establishing some newer, better ones. Yeah, it, it makes, it reminds me of what Amanda always says about, you know, the teenagers of now are going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, um, Elizabeth was 17 and Nathaniel was 18 in sorcery, Thorns Hall. Can you assume they're no more than you know, 18, 19 now, mm-hmm. they're not much older because so, it takes place so soon after the, the, the main mm-hmm. book. Only a few months, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Um, That, you know, they are young enough and have the the energy. <laughs> it was 84 years ago I had energy. <laughs> you know, they've got the energy and the stamina and the drive and the motivation to to change the world and they know how to make it better. And again, that's kind of why I would like something that might be a later generation, two down the line, with Silas, obviously, when we find out how Nathaniel and Elizabeth affected the changes. Is it present day? That would be interesting. I don't know if I would like it quite so much, but I think it would certainly be interesting. Mm -hmm. I would not mind... A more modern era like maybe the 20s or 30s or um something where they are older maybe dead but odds are there's the potential they could have been alive in the recent past i think um i, I think we'll need to remember no never mind they're in the 1800s now so the 1920s might be a little this is a magical world if it was set now it's not going to be our now I can't imagine them having the combustion engine because it's a magical world. They do not necessarily need it. So even if it was set in 2023, it might not be the 2023 that we know. Sure. It's not because current. It's, it's, not, it's not our present day. It's their present day. Exactly. So it would... The Avatar series does this uh, and is going to do this with the, the third Avatar they make where... Uh, they kind of started off with a they were just discovering the potential of the steam engine and stuff with the first Avatar The Last Airbender and then uh, Avatar Legend of Korra they get more into 20s 30s borderline 50s with like the car technology because a lot of different magic bending styles have been discovered and utilized over that period of like a few decades and the next one the third one is supposed to be in a modern present day uh context and people having the magic martial arts powers i imagine it would be a similar effect with this world too yeah because if the if there's no i can't remember what series i read but it was set technically modern day but because of magic in the world or the lack of magic in the world, or whatever. I can't remember. I, th- I think it was because of the magic in the world and there was some kind of like magical war or whatever. There was no need for technology to advance in the way that it has as we understand it. So it went on a like almost like a, you know, Marvel kind of diverged different universe. Alternate so the- history. Yeah, exactly. There was no need for that to happen. So it can be set in 2023, but there may be such things as personal conveyances, like a carriage, but it doesn't have a horse 
but it's magical. And I think mm-hmm. about the way that Nathaniel and Elizabeth are likely to want to share knowledge. And at the moment, magic is the aristoc- aristocracy. It's the people in who are moneyed and titled who have the magic. There's nothing saying that it doesn't go into the masses. And oh no, I can totally to see it. them giving their magic, like giving that power to everyone. Exactly. They're going exactly. to have a magical working class who have their own like minor levels of demons and summoners and then you have like different social tiers of it would be fun (laughs) it would change the course of history in terms of like imagine the civil war would be fought with demons you know it would it would be completely different and nothing like what would like the world of Misuse of Thorn Manor as we know it. So it's just everything that has happened in our world, but with magic and demons. And librarians. But then who says it but then who says it could? Because, you know, two hundred years ago, you know, we didn't have grimoires who that can turn into monsters attacking the world. It is a different world. It's just this is why I always find a little confusing sometimes when you've got a book that relies on real world conventions like time using the years because then it says the year like 1782 well we can contextualize what 1782 is for us but actually it's very different in this mm-hmm. universe um, mm-hmm. and it's 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 both a good and a bad thing for me because like I, I kind of place history in that and go actually that doesn't make any sense because we've got magical magic and we've got werewolves use and we've got monsters your everywhere. imagination Claire. well exactly well no that's well, it I, that's exactly I, it i think the time period is also tends in these things to be more for aesthetic reasons too because when you have stuff set in a magical 1920s or 30s or whatever you have jazz you have fashions that are familiar to us but the mm-hmm. technology and stuff isn't necessarily like it's maybe similar but the mechanics are vastly different because there's magic or there's new tech or you know which is why i love miss gale's stuff so much because she does that like she uses so much as the aesthetic but she like also uses the soundly researched other stuff yeah. and and like how sorcery of thorns and Miss imagine thorn manor did that too imagine yeah. a a world where like you are mentioning these times and you are doing these things but the author has created everything new from scratch and everything is different how bonkers would that book be and would you even like it like you're reading this and you have no idea what's going on and claire you were saying like oh no this is 1782 and that doesn't make any sense i just can't i can't wrap my brain around having something so vastly different with like nothing that you've ever ever heard of which how would you even write that how would you even make that happen and then how would you even understand it it makes my brain break yeah i mean it's just it's like any any work of fiction if you don't put in the real world pieces like seeing what the year is yeah you can't relate to it you can't but you can still suspend your belief in you, you, you disbelieve that it's not a real society it happens all the time mm-hmm. I mean 
Lord of the Rings, for example, it's an extreme measure, but it's a completely different world, completely different languages, completely different time scaling. You're given years and you're given all of these context clues and this history and this culture, but it's understandable. But what my kind of issue is, is when you say 1782, I understand my 1782, not the world's 1782. Mm-hmm. So when they're saying that Aunt Clawfield in 1782 did X, Y, and Z, I kind of context, you know, in my world and thinking, oh, well, but it's not happening in my world. It's not happening in the UK. It's not happening in America. Nothing of that nature is going on. But then I kind of think, well, what happened once that was 782 years ago from the call at year zero? <laughs> Because I overthink things. That's oh, my you're not issue. the only one. <laughs> like, the fact that it makes time, like, it references time similar to our solar calendar or our, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember BCE and CE, like, before Common Era and mm-hmm. Common Era, like, because it uses that calendar and stuff, and it uses that aesthetic similarly because it does have a lot of... Um, 1800s aesthetics like you know this thing came before the magical lamp and it's a manor or society is kind of similarly set up so i mean it's definitely used with intention but doing it all new all from scratch you definitely have to put in the base work do new time uh like can't have anything that's as remotely similar and that is so much work <laughs> right yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's lazy of Margaret Rogerson in this at all. I'm not. I actually like, I love this no, book. No, I don't think five anyone of, of, ever no, even thought that you were th- calling her lazy. It's what is lazy, and it's not this book, is when you read a book where it has the real world nuggets in there, and usually it's cursing, um, and or like pointers to like, like, if they said, oh, like, Jesus Christ or holy shit. That's very much our world and it knocks me out of the fantasy of what oh, I'm Oh, no, see, yeah. I would much prefer that. Like, in um, The Maze Runner, when they have all of their made-up curse words, I hated that. It, really? it was so grating. And those words were just so I hated it. I hated it. We actually had a Would You Rather based on this, too, with the Beth Revis books. Do you remember? Would you rather shout Frex or Shite or whatever it was? Do you remember that? Yep. Frex? Yes, because we used the little bird. Yeah, we did. We had, we had the <laughs> bird. We had bird with us then. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't love that. I don't, See, I, I, don't I, mind I only love it if it's completely. A... I only like it if it's completely different. Like, don't say frack instead of fuck. Don't say whatever. Come up with a new expletive. See, I, I quite liked... like frack, but that's because frack's used in a lot of different sci-fi shows. Well, one, uh, Firefly, um, that series, I liked how they did it well because they got by the censors by using cuss words from another language. Yeah, they However, them. they also used that language throughout the aesthetics of the show as well so it felt natural to the world that was created 
So I liked that balance, but I agree. Like, unless you're going to do something where it's like, um, like if you're doing the medieval cursing idea where it's like religious curse words yeah. um, and you're using the deities like so-and-so's thumb or so-and-so's oh, genitals yeah. or that kind of thing. That cursing Great is fun Odin's and it feels Raven. grounded. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I like that one. Now I'm trying to remember the words that I hated from um, the Maze Runner. <laughs> what if I googled Maze Runner swearing? Well, I'm just looking. I'm going back into the before times in our Google Drive. Ancients. Clunk. Shuck. Ugh, the only shuck. swearing is the occasional C, star, star, P. And once or twice, uh, I'm guessing, damn, D star, MN. Yeah. Ugh, I hated that. Shuck is when annoying. Shuck was when terrible. It... When it comes off as juvenile, then it feels a lot more... And that, I feel like, does make it very juvenile. It's like, oh, we can't say... We can't say any bad words, so we're gonna say, you know, heck instead. I don't like that. Even, like, I'm teaching my eight-year-old swear words, for goodness sake. He contextually uses the word shit. It's great. I mean, he's not allowed (laughs) to use it very often. I mean, the part of, like, ethically teaching swearing, in my opinion, and, you know, this is as a religious person as well, is, like, there's a time and a place. Like, you don't, you you teach these words, and then you teach this is how you use these words, and these are the ethics around using these words, and, you know, you respect other people and their stuff, but, you know, words are words. So, exactly. like any word, you use it's how you use it that yeah. gives it its meaning and significance. I feel like we I need use... to quote Annie at this point. <laughs> Sometimes the only appropriate word is fuck. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say that like, back 188 years ago when I was a teen librarian and the teens around me in the library would say they would say cuss words and then they'd be like, oh, like, oh, she heard me say it. I, like, I don't care how, I don't care what you say as long as you don't say it to hurt someone else. It's fine with me. Exactly. Like, especially if a, a lot of times, especially younger kids, when they're testing their boundaries, at least this is what I've noticed as a childless person, um, they like to use it to see the reaction that they get to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, more than just cussing they'll say uh derogatory things or whatever and it's how they're feeling around what Mm. they can use and what they can't use and you know their own ethics and stuff see my my logic is if i'm the one teaching that i know that they're being taught the right word in the right context and like you say the ethics behind it the morals behind it the true meaning behind it rather than waiting until they get to the schoolyard hear these words in, in, inappropriately and then they'll know, oh I've heard this word and my mummy says that's a bad word I am not going to repeat that word it's fine it's an, it's, it's, no, it's an educated it's, it's an educational piece because you know, if you, you do get wrong if you swear at school <laughs> what does this have to do with this book? I have absolutely no idea. Can we, I think we should get back on track yeah. a little bit, maybe. Do surprises? Do we have surprises. Should we talk about surprises? I already kind of talked about mine a little bit with the fact 
that Nathaniel planned the ice skating, but I was surprised that Silas thought Nathaniel would lollygag with the wedding because clearly he's very sentimental. He remembers that she wants to go ice skating. He remembers that she fucking wants to go ice skating. So he plans that. I can't see him lollygagging. I don't think Nathaniel is the one who would lollygag about the wedding. I think it would be Elizabeth. Yeah, because yeah. she's unless, too busy wafting unless, in her armor. Well, exactly. <laughs> unless her spending the night every night and she's a no sex before marriage girl. They would already be married she will, immediately. She will throw him down the aisle because yeah. you know as soon as she starts feeling it, she she's going to want to jump it. Yeah. I feel like they haven't done it in the point of the book, but I don't think they're necessarily going to wait just because of how like they've already gotten very uh, touchy-feely with each other. It's all um, over the clothes stuff at this point. There's yeah, nothing, but they were, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They were putting a pillow between them on the bed. No, she put the pillow because between of the them house. at once because I the know, house is approved. because of the house, but still... It was only because of the house, though. I don't think it's something that it's a big priority for her because she basically grew up in a convent. But now because of that and because she has that emotional connection and she's discovered about herself that her she gets stimulated, as they put it, by an emotional connection or armor, um, <laughs> that they're going to probably take it you know up that notch once they've you know they've declared their love for each other they're engaged there's literally nothing holding them back from an emotional standpoint maybe that's why silas went down into you know the depths of the manor house in and visited with the the underpants eating demon the devourer for a little while he's like uh they're busy and i don't want to be around this right now so will you eat these underpants and he's like yeah okay the, the, the party was going on because you hear the engagement being announced. And everyone's, yay! I don't think Silas... Except the fling, who's like, no, and any guy can't, no. can't kiss Nathaniel ever again! I, I honestly think that Silas wouldn't care. I don't I think, think he's into he... it personally. I don't think he is either, but I think he would give them their space. Is really oh, yeah, what I definitely. meant by that. He, 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 yeah. He'll turn into a cat and go out hunting for the night, you know? He'll go for a snooze in front of the fireplace. He's, he's, yeah. yeah. Make some post whatever scones and tea. Yes, make some sco- scones, peppermint tea, and some blackberry Celebratory scones. Well Here done. You go, You've friends. lost your virginity. Yes. He is a croissant. Frank Mercy a bit. Maybe, you know, Probably. give her the night off or something. How tense must Mercy be in that house? You know, I can yeah. only imagine that she's like stressed a bit until near the end. Poor thing. Even then, I'd like to see what she would want to do with the rest of her life because there were kind of vibes that she didn't necessarily want to be a servant forever. And now that she's got, you know, she's more distanced and recovered from her, the horrible stuff she went through that she would be able to like start to evaluate hmm so what do i want to do and what do i want to be even though she is good at her job mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if to... she trains in as elizabeth's assistant Ooh, that would be fun i would like that did anybody one, else no. have any surprises i was no go for it go for it i was surprised about 
the house being a TARDIS. <laughs> uh, like the pocket dimensions and stuff. Uh, I was also genuinely surprised that Silas and Elizabeth had like you know, that level of complexity that was explored here. Like, yes, they were starting to delve into it with Sorcery of Thorns, but I liked, you know, pleasantly surprised that there was more of a depth and it wasn't just, oh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, Nathaniel. It was like building that family unit. And mm -hmm. that's why I love this author so much. Like she has similar stuff in the other one other book I've read of hers and she's only got like four. So <laughs> that's a significant portion of her books. <laughs> Makes you think if Silas saw something in Elizabeth at an early stage to think actually she would be perfect for Nathaniel. Let's see if we can, you know, eventually make them smooch. <laughs> I mean, he's playing you a saw long his... game. Oh, he's playing the long game. Oh, if anybody is playing the long game, it's Silas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you saw his picture. Like, he he's a fanboy of hers, I'm convinced, because, you know, Nathaniel was all brooding and sad and stuff but she was an avenging saint like he he sees her as like this ideal and it's just like you need to be around this place and like he secretly also really likes that she is believes in him so much I think I wonder who Elizabeth reminds Silas of which one of the Thorn ancestors Probably Nathaniel's mom, honestly. That's the hints I was picking up. Yeah. I was thinking it was an earlier generation. I thought it might have been somebody earlier than that. Or someone he read about in a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the feral one of the grimoires before I went feral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My surprise. Um which didn't actually happen until after I re-listened to Sorcery of Thorns but it did jar me the first time I listened to Mysteries of Thorn Manor, was how the narrator, um, Emily Ellett, did Parsifal's voice. It was I silly. don't even remember it. It was tiny. Tiny, because Parsifal has such a minor speaking role in right, Mysteries of Thorns. Because he's, he's under, under a blanket. He's, a, he's in his blanket fort. But he sounded so stupid. He sounded really silly. And then when I re-listened to Sorcery of Thorns, he's quite normal. He's got a little bit of a fanboy-esqueness going on with him. But when I listened to the Mysteries of Thorn Manor, it was a little silly. Well, he's in I, a blanket fort, Claire. It was before he got into the blanket fort. He's having fun in it was his like, blanket hello, fort. Hello, can I come out of the fort now? It sounded like he was just having his voice dropped when he's older than Elizabeth and Catrian. Because oh, he was already he a, a junior librarian. And that was back I, in sorcery. And it I just, don't even honestly, recall it at all. So that tells you how much it affected me. It was I... just the tiniest little bit. And to be fair, until I'd listened to the, the book one again, it really wasn't the surprise, but it made me go, oh. Otherwise, I, might... I was struggling with the surprise. I might need to get the audiobook of Sorcery now because I I read that one paper copy like this was before I even got an Audible membership and now I can't read paper copies at the time anymore. So it is a great audiobook. Like Emily Ellett does an amazing job. She really really does. I really enjoy it. And it literally was just that tiny little bit of Parsifal's voice in, in Mysteries that was eh 
Huh? You just went, oh, what? Okay. Yeah, what? but then I got over it because it was such a tiny part. And I've listened to it twice. So I forgot about it the first time. And it wasn't until I'd re-listened, like I said, to Sorcery Thorns and went, oh, no, I'm surprised by that. And I was like, yay, I have a surprise. Yay. <laughs> the rest you totally start coming. The rest I guessed. I, and it just felt like a natural, very natural story. You know, nothing it was... was too shocking for us to go oh okay like it, when it was revealed that Silas was behind the wards being tweaked to bring out Aunt Clough Hill's curse I was like yeah that that's about right <laughs> I, I agree that Silas would do that so it wasn't surprising it was like yeah that's on brand <laughs> it did feel very organic like a lot of spin-off series will kind of uh the only, the most egregious example I can think of is a, more of a film example, uh, but the Beauty and the Beast cartoon animated movie um, had, you know, very defined characters, defined traits, and then the direct-to-video sequels to that turned Belle into a I-want-to-fix-him personality yeah. and Beast into a helpless, uneducated oaf instead of just he you know didn't care so he didn't bother like it was and even later editions like an original scene that was cut was added back in and it had those same like shades after the fact and yeah. i hated that and a lot of spin-offs can do that where the characters aren't the same and this one everything was so organic and meshed and it felt so natural yeah. and just okay i read this book and this is just a natural continuation mm. and i loved it 100 percent agree 100 percent is it time for Woody Allen? We asked on social media, would you rather have a demonic servant who must obey your orders or a house with wards to keep anybody you want out? Either delightful. On Facebook, 25% said servant and 75% said ward. On Instagram, 67% said they would have their demonic servant. And on TikTok, it was pretty close with 54% servant and 46% house wards very close we are no longer doing twitter slash x slash whatever the heck it's called anymore yeah it is nobody's an update. sad about that no it is an update only so if you followed us on twitter please find us on facebook instagram threads tiktok youtube a podcast searcher Spotify. patreon patreon yeah find us on patreon find us on patreon patreon's the best sure. Definitely. Patreon's amazing. And then also give us some money. Yeah. I feel like I haven't asked for money in a long time. <laughs> Not naturally. I give them money. Yay! And I also love them. And that's why you're here. And we love you. Not just because you give us money. Right. I mean, I real I said that after the love. is with. That's also the reason. Why you're here? I did not buy your friendship. I I pay I pay money so I can support you because I love yeah. what you create. Yeah, Yay. and you were a super fan and involved with us before you started giving us money. So 
I started giving you money because I actually loved you more after getting to know you. Aw, yay. Aw, that's really sweet. Everyone listen to Brie and do what Brie says to do. Brie is smart. Be more like Brie. Everyone be like Brie. <laughs> um, we have some comments. Yes, we do. Annie media. on threads. Um, she and I had, she, she's ruled that Claire drinks take me. Mm-hmm. And I had a discussion about being snored in by oneself or with people during Jane and the excellent read-along. We both agreed we wanted to be left alone with our books, so definitely house with wards. Preferably one with a booming magical voice that says, Go away! I'm reading! Dad, I like that. I do too. Can I join in on that? I mean, not not the Jane read-along. I don't no, want you to can, join you in can, on that. No, you can come into the house. There will be you, Everybody has their own room. Okay. okay, but in like the communal area, like, probably in the giant foyer, we'll have the the fort. Yes, the little blanket fort. The, the blanket the foyer. Yeah. Yes, but everybody has their own room, and you know, don't have to talk. Or you can have your own completely own house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Eric Finn on Instagram said, it depends on what the demon is getting paid. If Black Butler taught me anything, it's that they do all that servant stuff in exchange for your soul. So I think I'll take the house instead, lol. (laughs) I mean, you just have to give a little bit of a little bit of soul. A little bit of time of your life. It's just too soul. soul. (laughs) I, I like Silas better than Sebastian, honestly, but that's just me. I've never experienced Black Butler, so I can't. I've had a little bit of vicarious experience and it it has its it has good things and bad things like everything. Anyways, Glim Glam Jen on Instagram says Demon! I want him to drive me around with his superhuman reflexes. Traffic in Memphis is crazy. Oh, poor Glim Glam Jen. <laughs> it's a good reason. Mm-hmm. Avoid traffic. Yeah. Very it's a good, good reason. reason. It's a good if you get a demon, a demon that flies, even better. Yeah. Tails T and the on Instagram, which is a fantastic handle, says a demon who must do my bidding. I'm tired of adulting. There's so much love to debate to delegate. Mm. I I I'm tired of adulting. Can we just like? I have to have a treat every time I adult. Gee, I don't mind Harry Ball. I'm fine. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Drew on Facebook said, seems more efficient to have the house. True, true. Yeah. Those topiaries can train them. Yeah. Vincent, yay, on Facebook says, I'm going for the servant. I despise washing up and ironing. So at the very least, it can do that. Sure. <laughs> Moon. And Colin on Facebook says, gonna have to go with the servant. It cooks, it cleans, it terrifies people off my property with its hideous visage and sinister growls. Talk about me. <laughs> Amanda, have you got some from the library for us, please? Yes, we do have some comments from the library, and uh, they're very Black Butler heavy. Um, one says demonic servant, and they've drawn horns around their text. Nice. And they said that Black Butler is their favorite because Sebastian is sexy AF. And then <laughs> someone else 
drew an arrow to that and said, I was gonna say house, but you've convinced me otherwise, probably with the sexiness of Sebastian. And then um, someone else said, demonic servant for sure. He slash they could acquire anything I wanted and they could be an interesting companion. Part. Oh, so that's fun. Leave the help alone. <laughs> Don't have relations with with your servant. That's probably not. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you should relieve them of their duties if you're going to have relations. It just reeks of British aristocracy picking the era. <laughs> Honestly, um, are we doing our answers now? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I'm with Nathaniel on this one. I want the house with the wards because it keeps people out that you don't want getting in. You can have your alone time. It's good security. And I would just feel bad ordering this sentient being around who even if we weren't on friendly terms i wouldn't want to provoke them and it would just make me feel dirty but not in the good way yeah 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 i i there's always that chance that the demon's gonna turn on you so i'm gonna have my house I'm going to have the house, too. I like house. I'm antisocial. I don't want to talk to people. And if the wards can keep me free and I can have some interesting torpor, chase them around, so much the better. Yeah. And, you know, if you live in Nathaniel's house and there's all sorts of hidden rooms all over the place that have been there for forever and you're like, oh, I forgot about that one, that would be fun. It would be fun to explore. Exactly. If I can afford Nathaniel's house, then I can afford a housekeeper. And some actual proper servants to come in. And they don't have to live there. They just have to come in for the day. Do what they need to do. And then they can go home working a nice eight hour shift four days a week. That's all I ask. All I ask. And they get benefits. Yes. (laughs) And they will get a pension. Yes. Everything else is, you know. Insurance. It's national service. Yeah. Next question. Would you rather be a warden or a conservator? I feel like I don't have to answer this question. <laughs> being being the public librarian in the room. Well, I'm curious. So you would rather do book maintenance and repair and preservation over kicking the butts and delivering. I have to keep the books safe. Yeah, I'm going with you on that one. I feel like I would have a lot more fun and a lot less injuries working with my hands and, you know, being a little book doctor person. And I, I would have more fun doing the, the polishing and the massaging and the the being nice to the books. Mm-hmm. And I'll let the more chemistry-minded people handle the chemicals and the medical stuff. Yeah. I would just make a mess of everything. So let me just. We should start a book spa together or a grimoire spa. We should do that. I want a big sword. (laughs) Very good. You can be the security at the grimoire spa. 
as interesting as being a conservator would be and i would really enjoy that as well i would love that bookbinding is something i'm actually tempted to you know pick up as a hobby i want a big sword (laughs) good answer i feel like if i was a warden i would be a shield basher because Mm. i can hide behind something and then just boom 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 and yeah i'm going full valkyrie those those grimoires have turned into big monsters they're going to valhalla (laughs) i just want to read them too late they're reading you and they're reading you to hell (laughs) but you have to tame one so you can have your pegasus anywho (laughs) would you rather dance with Nathaniel or dance with Silas I feel like dancing with Nathaniel would be um, sillier and more ridiculous than dancing with Silas well I I think that Silas could would be a good you know he, he would be a good dance partner he would lead well but I feel like I could be sillier with Nathaniel so I'm going to pick Nathaniel Nathaniel is disco Silas is the waltz yeah I, I'm going to do tango with Silas oh, oh that would be fun that would be fun yeah I'm going to oh. I'm going to go with Silas just because we can like switch up styles mid mm. mid dance yeah. and go with the music and I don't really talk much while I'm dancing anyways so I just want to have fun and look fabulous That's a good answer Yeah oh I think Silas would be a better lead Mhm I want to go Silas Nathaniel will have better just... banter though Yeah I'll just I don't need Nathaniel to, talk. to myself It's fine I, do, I don't need to talk I just want to have fun and dance and I think Silas would make sure that happened. Silas would also be able to handle two of us at once with dance partnering. Well, we'll we'll have them on different nights, it's fine. Uh, I've done those uh, one lead, two follows dances, they are fun. Fine, well after we've had the um, or during the, the pillow fort, blanket fort wars we could have a dance break and have a dance party. See, I feel like Nathaniel would be leading the dance party because it's very ridiculous. Yeah, Silas he'll lead is... the dance party. And Silas is just off in the corner showing people how to do it all, like, you know. Oh, he's doing it properly. Yeah. He's teaching you the steps to the Macarena. Why he chose the Macarena, I have no idea. Why did he choose the Macarena? I don't know. Why? Because Nathaniel oh, told the him the Macarena. Nathaniel told him to, yes. <laughs> that was the one order he obeys. He's like, fine. Fine, sir. That's... No! Oh my god! Why? I don't oh. know. I don't I'm know. really kind of honestly image. disgusted. And <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. And he's teaching it in cat form. Yes, that would be even better. Perfect. 
<laughs> he's just slightly disgusted the whole time. Oh, you but know for still a fact Silas it. would hate it. Yeah. His like little snout and whiskers are bunching every time he has to do a movement. <laughs> would Silas hate the Macarena or line dancing more? The Macarena. Like he's dancing yeah. the Cotton Eye Joe or something like that. Look, if we're I... dancing the Cotton Eye Joe, then I'll choose Silas. I feel like the fashions for one are better than the other. So he would pick the better fashioned one. Hmm. Which fashion line is dancing, better in you that have case? More coordination. Well, line yeah. dancing, uh, yeah. you have more coordination, you have mm-hmm. an aesthetic, you have like something established, mm-hmm. and he could like mold it to his preferences. Whereas yeah. the Macarena is just its own. He would toss it in the destroyer. He probably would. Yeah, let's toss, let's toss the Macarena into the Great Devourer or Destroyer. <laughs> the Great it's Trash Can. The, the great devour <laughs> trash can. Jeez, can we move on? What, what yes. were we up to before? Would you rather <laughs> go ice skating, have breakfast in bed, or a suit of armor that has been uncursed? Well, I've already got a big sword. I was about I to say, Claire doesn't have to answer this one. <laughs> Thank you. I, I want breakfast because I've been craving blackberry preserves. And there's a sandwich. It's got blackberry preserves, uh, brie cheese, and bacon. And it's like a grilled cheese. Nice. It was delicious. My friend made it for me once. Brie is the And best. I want that for breakfast in bed. Okay, well then I'll go ice skating. And we'll just do all three. So it. I'm going to go wafting around with a suit of armor wearing a silk robe as well. Yeah. Clacking I would around. rather go roller skating than ice skating, but ice skating still fun. Okay, Bree, do you have a would you rather for us? Would you rather have access to a great devourer that makes empty whiny threats at you? Or would you rather have access to topiaries, animated topiaries, who may or may not attack you depending on their mood? Well, we've already established in question one that we have the house with the wards and the topiary. So I'm going to have the Great Devourer in the basement for garbage disposal purposes. For Macarena disposal purposes. For Macarena disposal <laughs> purposes. You come to my door with the Macarena, you're going down the freaking Great Devourer. I also want to know how you got past the wards. Yeah. It's the greatest of evils. They probably fed the topiaries something to bribe them. They just did it in a circle? Macarena? Oh, God, <laughs> I think I'll take the the Great Devourer as well. Because I don't want the topiaries to turn on me. I mean, I would be nice to them. I would treat them well. But, you know, if they're just going to randomly turn, I don't want that to happen. So give me the Devourer. I'm going to go with the, the topiaries. Because I'm going to go with the topiaries just because they're less whiny about me being around them and using their services. 
I don't know. I did not like the Great Devourer. He was he was petty, but not in the fun way. <laughs> but Silas is so much harder than him. It's like, dude. <laughs> Seriously. Eat the robe, have a side order of macarena, and go back to the party. As a cat. Yeah, it's like he, he's feeding you. He's letting you have some fun time out of the, the hell dimension. Yeah. Like, be nice. Feeding you snacks. Shut up. <laughs> I feel like the topiaries would be grateful for snacks. The topiaries would be grateful would. if you didn't go around chopping their heads off. Probably that, that as well. You could train them. <laughs> okay. Favorite final thought quote. Bree, why don't you go first? Mine, my ones are mostly, well, okay, so there's like kind of fun and then funny and then kind of in between. Uh, this one's kind of serious. There's no such thing as a good demon mistress, Silas interjected softly, bending past her to place something on the table. Merely those who have manners and those who do not. Oh. And next one is probably my favorite of Elizabeth's little thoughts. Not every story has a happy ending, but most do if you are brave enough to keep reading to the end. Oh, Ooh, I, I like that one. that one. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like Yeah. And last one, which is more fun. I care not what they think or say, and I must ask, if you possess the option to spend the next 24 hours in the form of cat, his eyes flicked meaningfully toward the windows where the crowd waited outside, teeming, Elizabeth imagined, with a multitude of starving cousins. Would you not gladly consider it? <laughs> that is a mood. I would love to be a cat if I could be a cat. And avoid the starving cousins. Yes. Bloody cousins. <laughs> Claire, what do you got? I've got three. Um, okay, this one's a bit longer. Won't the Collegium give you glasses that fit? Nathaniel asked at last in frustration. These don't fit on purpose. What? It's distracting, Catrian said. You wouldn't believe what people will tell you when they're too busy being annoyed by your ill-fitting spectacles to pay attention to what you're saying. <laughs> I love That's that, because though my glasses do fit, it annoys me when I have to push them up on my nose. <laughs> So I don't know what it must be like for other people. This is the harshest rule I feel like Silas has ever said in the next one. No swords at the breakfast table, mistress. Silas had ruled. <laughs> Terrible, really. And then a Nathaniel quote. Yes, my terror. Mm. He respects Elizabeth and her <laughs> physicality. It's important. Yes. Exactly. Yes. What have you got, Amanda? Her wardrobe, Master Thorne. I shall not go near it. It is a stain upon your house. Never before or since have I beheld garments so disgracefully out of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I love how much he hates all of her clothes. Wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Be so pretty and pink. According to my ancestors, nothing screams romance like a good old-fashioned duel to the death. Mm. And finally, when you've grown up in the library with talking books for friends, there are some things you don't think to question. Like it. Point. I like it. Yes, yes. Okay. 
If you liked this, try this. I feel like mine is gonna be really like, nobody's expecting it, so. I have reasons for choosing the one that I chose though. Okay. Do Brie, I get to go, go first? Okay. Oh, yes, yes Brie, you should go first. Okay, I can do this. Okay, so I chose a graphic novel called Tea Dragon Society by Katie O'Neill. Uh, and it, oh, yay! <laughs> it looked, I haven't read it yet, but it looked amazing it and cute. cute and fluffy, just like this novel. It is really easy reading. If you've liked any of our middle grades, you'll like this as well. It is cute and adorable. And yes. all the creatures this... in it are just delightful. See, so perfect wholesomeness to pair with Mysteries of Thorn Manor. And description from Goodreads is from the award-winning author of Princess Princess Ever After comes the Tea Dragon Society, a charming all-ages book that follows the story of Greta a blacksmith apprentice, and the people she meets as she becomes entwined in the enchanting world of tea dragons. After discovering a lost tea dragon in the marketplace, Greta learns about the dying art form of tea dragon care, taking from the kind tea shop owners, Ezekiel and Eric. As she befriends them and their shy ward, Minette, Greta sees how the craft enriches their lives and eventually her own. There's also a tabletop game for it as well, and it's a series, and it's adorable. And I've got them. I've got this tabletop game. I don't have the rest of the books, but they are on my wish list. And the game is adorable. It's a it's adorable. Underlined. <laughs> Claire, what's your book? Um, this is one I haven't read, but it's on my wish list. And it, I, I say it's on my wish list. I've taken a picture. I've circled it several times. And I've heavily implied that I want it for my birthday, Colin. Colin. <laughs> Just so you know, Colin. Thanks. It's called Ink Blood Sister Scribe by Emma uh, Torres. And the summary is from Waterstones where there's a, a lovely special edition with sprayed edges and it's a signed edition, Colin. Hint, hint. <laughs> Some books should never be opened. A spellbinding edge-of-your-seat thriller Ink Blood Sister Scribe follows a family tasked with guarding a trove of magical but deadly books. Hashtag not tenuous link. And the shadowy <laughs> organisation that will do anything to get them back. Even murder. Joanna Coltier lives alone in the woods of Vermont, the sole protector of a collection of rare books, books that will allow someone to walk through walls or turn water into wine, books of magic. Her estranged older sister Esther moves between countries and jobs and constantly changing, never staying anywhere longer than a year, desperate to avoid the deadly magic that killed her mother. Currently working on a research base in Antarctica, she has found love and perhaps a sort of happiness. But when her, she finds spots of blood on the mirrors of the research base, she knows someone is coming for her and that Joanna and her collection are in danger. If they are to survive, she and Joanna must unravel the secrets of their parents kept hidden from them. Secrets that span centuries and continents and could cost them their lives. Oh, interesting. I am very like excited. Sorcery for of it. Thorns meets the thing. That's what it That's sounds what like. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm there for that. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, Amanda, what's your it. 
what's your unexpected recommendation? My unexpected recommendation is another 1.5. Oh, hashtag tenuous link. Hashtag tenuous Ooh. link. 1.5 without a 2. And okay. I am going to suggest The Nada Tapes by Don Kurtigich because everyone knows how much I love Don Kurtigich. And I really enjoyed this little extra bit from The Dead House. So, The Nada Tapes. There is a box, a box that should never have been discovered, and a warning beneath the lid. This was for Caitlin. It was a mistake. Forget this box and leave the aisle. Don't look any further. I'm begging you. NCD 2005. After the inferno that swept through Elmbridge High, claiming the lives of three teenagers and causing one student, Carly Johnson, to disappear, Nada Chunan Dupre was locked away for the good of society. But that wasn't the end of the story, because you can't play with the devil and not pay the price. And then there's another sentence that I didn't need to read. The chilling psychological horror of the dead house returns with never-before-seen footage of the Nada tapes. So I really loved it. Because everyone knows how much I love The Dead House. It's Don Kurtigich. It's Don Kurtigich, one of my most favorite books of all time. And there's a tiny little bit extra, so everyone needs to check totally it out. Totally not tenuous link. No. No, not at all. It's fine. Do we have a tenuous link in our Unity Spotlight, though? Not really. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. This one just came to us in an email like full-on pdf the entire thing came to us in an email like today so uh, i feel like send us books i love books i know (laughs) so it's only fair that uh that i mention this one it's called copies for everybody (laughs) yay it's called onestonia pursuit of the light cipher by emery frost this is a self-pub everyone but it sounds very interesting A life sustainer is held captive deep underground, and the only one able to descend below the surface is the most unlikely of tribesmen. Enemy blood flows through Tolkien's veins, making him an outcast to his tribe, yet now he is their only hope. A critical event is drawing near, the birth of a life sustainer, which only happens with perfect alignment of the two sister moons and the light cipher, a light decoding tool from the gods. Now a desperate race is on as Tolkien embarks on a quest fraught with danger. Can he deliver the light cipher and life sustainer in time before the moons align? Or will his failure cause all he has ever cared for to perish? Mm, interesting. Good stakes. Interesting. Yeah. We got that in an email today, and apparently it has taken the author 14 years to write. So... We hope that they've put a lot of effort into it. It sounds interesting just from the blurb. Yes. So that's it. That's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. I'm Claire. And I'm Bree. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Bree. Thanks for joining us in this discussion. It was lots of fun. We love you. We do love you. you. And, you know, you'll have to come on for an entire episode next time because that's just how the progression goes you are leveling up yes join us next time as we discuss a study in charlotte by Brittany cavallero 
Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok and YouTube at fictionalhangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.